This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. This is a special reunion radio edition of Career Talk, live from the Wharton School during Alumni Weekend on the historic campus of the University of Pennsylvania. Here's your host, Dr. Dawn Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are here in Business Radio, and we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Hey, it's Saturday, May 18th, and it's Reunion Radio here on Sirius XM 132. We're celebrating all of our Wharton alumni all weekend here on campus in Philadelphia, and we are live all hour long. So if you're catching this, give us a call right now at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you've got a question or comment, we would love to hear from you. And we have Michelle and Danielle running the ship today. Woohoo, guys. Thanks for coming in on a Saturday. Yeah. Awesome to be here. Yeah. And I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And we have two special guests throughout this hour that I'm very excited are going to be here live in studio. So first up is Jenna Fisher, managing director of the global corporate offices sector at Russell Reynolds, a talent management and executive search firm. She's also a Wharton MBA graduate of the class of 2004, and Jenna is based in San Francisco, and her clients include Fortune 1000 corporations, middle market private equity portfolio companies, and venture capital-backed enterprises. The majority of her work over the past 10 years has been recruiting CFOs, although she has conducted numerous assignments for treasurers, controllers, internal audit, executives, and division chief financial officers. Welcome to Career Talk, Jenna. Thank you, Don. Great to be here. Yeah, and congrats. Congratulations on your reunion weekend. Super fun. As you reflect on the last 15 years, what has surprised you most with relation to your career? Well, I think that there have been several trends that I've noticed have evolved in the market over the last decade or so. One that I certainly got a lot of exposure to here at Wharton, which was a global mindset that has only continued to evolve and and grow in importance for our clients. Um, the focus on diversity and inclusion is one that our clients are really talking a lot about right now, and that's super exciting to see. And then I'd say a, a third thing that I've seen evolve is um, an appreciation for a different form of leadership. I think a lot of us grew up with associations of heroicism and people who could be risk-taking and disruptive as leadership qualities, the typical ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs. And we see that um, certainly, but and lots of high potential lists are full of those kinds of people. Um, but more and more um, in this in this ecosystem, we're seeing a focus on people who have different kinds of leadership that are quieter, as Susan Cain pointed out in her book, Quiet. Um, and we're seeing, I, I would say, they're more female traits of leadership. And that's been really rewarding to see. And, and I'm excited to see where that continues. Yeah, we have 98,000 alumni and 77 alumni clubs spread across 153 countries here at Wharton, which is just staggering when you think about it. It really is. <laughs> 
the, the, the heterogeneity is overwhelming. <laughs> so, so what drew you to executive search, Jenna? So my background had been in professional services. I had attended law school before I came here to Wharton, and uh, I worked as a management consultant at Bain & Company, and I loved getting to work with a diverse array of clients. I loved picking up the phone and not knowing what question or person was going to be on the other end. But over time, I realized that what my real passion was, was human capital. And so I wanted to combine those two areas of interest, professional services with human capital. And, you know, I didn't wake up when I was 18 years old thinking, I want to be an executive search consultant when I grow up. But I was so um, fortunate to learn about the industry and just really fell in love with it. And a lot of people don't know, Jenna, exactly what executive search consultants do. Often called headhunters. There's a lot of names, uh, you know, external recruiters. But a lot of people have an idea. But since you are an expert in this field, can you share what is your specific role and how it relates to a potential job seeker? Sure. So one thing that I think is important to know about executive search, that much like other professional service providers like accounting firms or law firms, our clients are the companies who hire us, who pay us a retainer to find the per perfect purple unicorn for their companies. Sometimes people think that we represent individuals. Um, and although we certainly do help individuals throughout the process, really our clients are the companies and we have to set out to find the ideal individual. And so sometimes that will match up with somebody who's a job seeker. But most of our candidates and successful candidates actually are not looking for a new opportunity. And we have to convey to them why this opportunity would be the right one. Yeah. And there's a lot of statistics out there about like passive candidates. And I think, you know, if you haven't heard that term and you're listening, I mean, a passive candidate is somebody who's not looking, but maybe Jenna, you call and say, hey, you know, I found you on LinkedIn. We've got this great opportunity. Are you open to talking about it? And this is where a lot of candidates are coming from. So, so how can somebody become a passive candidate that you might be interested in, Jenna? Great question. So I would say we find candidates from three buckets broadly. The first is at the onset of every search, our research team will put together a target list of companies that we will very methodically comb, go through, and make sure there's nobody in that cohort either currently working at those companies or formerly working at those companies that would be of interest. We call people based on that. We call people who are in our network. You get to be in our network by being referred by somebody who is known to us. Um, or by having been a helpful source or person in our con community in the past. And then the third vector that we use to find um, individuals is through referrals or sourcing. And so I would say if somebody is looking to engage with a recruiter, one way to do so is to get uh, a referral from somebody who is already known to us. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to a special edition of Career Talk for Wharton's Reunion Radio right here on Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. Hey, if you've got a question around careers, you can always give us a call if you're hearing us right now. We're live at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. And we're very excited to have Jenna Fisher, who's Managing Director of the Global Corporate Officer Sector at Russell Reynolds here in studio all the way from San Francisco. So you flew out just for reunion. I did. And and, it's been great. Yeah. And, and so something you just talked about, Jenna, um, really kind of hits home with me because it's about networking and you're talking about executive search and that a big part of executive search is about referrals. And I think a lot of people miss this when they think, oh, I can just Google a, a, a headhunter and just call them and say, hey, wh what, what do I qualify for? But it's a very much relationship business. It very, is. very much so. It is. And I think that 
Sometimes one mistake that some people make is trying to be all things to all people. None of us are perfect for every single job. And the reality is even when we embark upon a search for our clients, often they will have enumerated a dozen or so competencies or skills that they're looking for. But the perfect person, and I use perfect in quotes, might be somebody who who checks eight of those 10, but who is a really great culture fit. And so we also spend a lot of time getting to know our candidates. But it's important that if you are a candidate on a search, you're really honest about where you match up and align with the job specification and what might be areas of growth or opportunity for you. Um, because if you oversell, we we tend to get a little bit skeptical. I know Adam Grant talks about this, uh, putting your worst foot forward in his book originals, which I think is a really important point. I'm not saying to put your worst foot forward in an interview, but it really is. It's about being honest and um, and talking about where you think you align, even if you're a little bit outside of the box. Mm-hmm. 844-942-7866. You're listening to a special edition of Career Talk on Wharton's Reunion Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and you can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. So we are talking all about executive search, headhunters, how to partner with a headhunter. We have Jenna Fisher here, who's an expert on this topic. And, you know, if somebody is is looking to they're thinking about getting a new job and maybe they don't have a relationship currently with an executive search firm. This is a two-part question. What what types of general qualities would you be looking for in terms of years experience and and you know that type of thing? So what what clients are appropriate for working with an executive search firm and then how would they go about getting in touch with one that focuses on the industry that they're an expertise in? Sure. So generally speaking for executive search there's no bright line test, but we generally work at the VP level and higher. So folks who are at that level, so C-level, certainly board search is an area we spend a lot of time, and then VP. So, you know, maybe it's 15, 12 to 15 years post-MBA, roughly speaking. Um, in addition to, if, if you can find somebody who's already known to a search person who can make an introduction, that's a great way. But if you don't have that, I would recommend going on to the the website of search firms. We all have very detailed search uh, profiles and find the person who really is either geographically or industry-wise most aligned to your background. When I get random emails sent to a dear sir or a madam and they're looking for a talent that I don't recruit for, you know, that's not a great first impression. But if somebody has been really thoughtful and bespoke and says, hey, you know, I, I see that you have X, Y, or Z in your background, and here's why I think I might be relevant, then I'm certainly more prone to spend time um, looking at that resume and passing it along to my colleagues and, and considering it for opportunities. And how important is LinkedIn to your process? So, I think everybody who is who, who has a career should be on LinkedIn. We um, we have our own um, custom database that we use at Russell Reynolds. Nevertheless, we have a partnership with LinkedIn and we we import their data. And um, I certainly always like to when I'm going in to meet somebody, I always like to look and see how many shared connections we have. So I think it's a helpful tool and and one that people should have a presence on. And more than a presence, what do you what do you look for specifically? Obviously matches, but I mean, are you, you're looking for somebody who is very active, somebody who's very um, well connected. I mean, what should people think about? As I know, a lot of people throw up a profile and then kind of ignore it for the next decade or. So, so you know, what what would be something you would look for? So, I think that it's not imperative for my purposes that the person is active on LinkedIn. I think it should be thorough. It shouldn't just say their current role. It should have their full CV enumerated. Um, 
certainly, I think it's interesting if somebody will post either articles they've written or links to articles they find interesting or inspiring. I think that's a nice way to get to know somebody. A lot of my business, though, is is more one-on-one, and, and I spend a lot of time with people getting to know them well. But I think that, you know... It, Probably a best practice is to look at your LinkedIn profile at least every four to six months to make sure it's up to date and reflective of who you are. Hey, if you're just tuning in and it's Saturday, May 18th, and you're saying, what the heck is Career Talk doing on? Well, we are doing a special for Wharton's Reunion Radio all hour long. So if you're tuning in right now, we are live at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. John Graham, and we are here with Jenna Fisher, who is both an alumna and also celebrating her reunion 15 15th years. reunion. That's right. Very, very cool. So so we're talking about executive search firms. And, you know, of course, there's, you know, the big executive search firms, very well known, Russell Reynolds being one of them, Corn Ferry, you know, all. But but what about some of the, the people out there who, and I know you're retained versus some of the smaller firms, which might be contingent. So can you explain the difference to people and what they just need to know as a potential job seeker? working with different types of firms? Certainly. So a retained search firm is one that will essentially get paid by the client, the company, regardless of whether or not we specifically recruit somebody. So we go out, we have a process. And generally speaking, the the vast majority of the time, we do find the person. But sometimes there are other things that can happen along the way. For example, there could be an internal candidate at the company that we often will assess and they will get promoted into the role that we're seeking, um, we would still get paid. So it's if you are an internal candidate for a search, know that if you're working with, with a retained firm, that we don't have a dog in the proverbial fight. We, we will just be advising our client um, of every candidate's benefits and developmental areas, regardless of whether you work at the company today or are outside the organization. A contingent firm only gets paid if a, a candidate they introduce to the client um, goes and and takes a job there. So it's a different model. Um, Generally speaking, when you're working at the C-level and even the VP level at larger companies, the the companies will use a retained model because we provide more than just names on a sheet of paper. We provide a lot of guidance and counsel to our clients along the way. So um, Jenna, I know that, that contingent versus retained doesn't automatically mean better or worse at all. But we also know that, I mean, I read an article recently that to be a, a recruiter or somebody in search, you essentially could be a one-person show and, and, you know, start researching people on LinkedIn. And, you know, unfortunately, that leads to some situations that maybe aren't as uh, as ethical. So how can somebody know if they're reached out to on LinkedIn or they get an email from somebody who mentions that they're they're in search that it's it's not somebody just trying to collect resumes or just trying to kind of pad their client with potential candidates that that aren't really theirs. I would say if you don't know the firm, I would try to find a referral to them um if they certainly if they ask you if you would like to pay to be part of their organization. That is a huge red flag. Um, and um, you could certainly look at their website, try to find out who their other clients are. But um, there are lots of one-man shops, one-woman shops um, that actually are quite good. And maybe those are people who no longer want to be part of a larger firm, but want to just do a few select searches a year. Um, 
I think one of the benefits to working with a, a large global search firm is our breadth of reach. And so for our clients, when we go to reference candidates, which we do all throughout the process, we can leverage all 400 of our consultants in terms of their their connections to make sure that this person really is going to be the best fit for an organization. Um, but if it's somebody you've never heard of, I would... I, I wouldn't say that they are necessarily not qualified, but I would do a little bit of diligence. Yeah, I totally agree. And some of the things you can do is you can look at their LinkedIn profile. I mean, who are they connected to? Are they legit individuals? Um, you can look at how did they reach out to you? Is it a generic message and it's pretty easy to tell a generic message although you still may get a slight ego boost because you feel good about it do read it from an objective perspective and say is this is this about me or is this about fishing for my resume um, I think other things you can do as you had mentioned Jenna is look do they have a legit website um, you know check to see if there's any complaints against them because a lot of these companies are not registered with Better Business Bureau and you have to ask yourself is that is that a red flag um, plus the internet is is you know unforgiving if something is out there that you need to watch out for probably a little digging will uncover it so check that out and i also think jenna something you pointed out earlier that i i i believe is a sign of a legit um, headhunter is is building a relationship. So if it if it seems very transactional, oh, send me your resume, and there's the, you know it's not give and take. They're not giving you any information, and they kind of want it. Or if they ask you for anything very personal, you know, social security, <laughs> I mean, birth date, even this is this is something I would say always ask. Hey, hey, let's jump on the phone. Let's jump on the phone, talk to them, see if it's a legit situation. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I always say to our clients, when we are diligencing candidates, we need to look at not just the first page of Google results on that person. And I think the same holds true if you're referencing a company or an individual. Don't just look at the first sort of cursory glance. Really dig first you know, three, four pages for Google results to see if there's anything out there that might be a, a bit aberrant. Yeah. And I also think that, um, you know, one of the things you can do is ask for referrals. You had mentioned this. I mean, I think it's perfectly fair if you want to build a relationship with a with a recruiter to ask, you know, who else have you placed? Can I talk to somebody? Is that is that something you would do? Put somebody in touch with um, one of your clients? Sure. Well, I certainly do that for companies all the time when they're hiring us. I think on the candidate side, um, I think we have a reputation for integrity and transparency. Yeah. So <laughs> Russell Reynolds probably doesn't have to <laughs> worry about the reputation yeah. piece. Yeah, but um, but we do convene our candidates quite often to get together. So there is a community uh, of sorts, um, and so people certainly have lots of opportunities to to see our our work. And it really is an open book. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. You're listening to Reunion Radio. This is Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We have Michelle and Danielle in studio. And if you're hearing my voice right now, guess what? We're live taking your calls, any and all career topics. As you know, we always are here to help you get the best job you can or the best career of your dreams, 844-942-7866. And we are talking with Jenna Fisher, who is Managing Director at Russell Reynolds, a talent management and executive search firm, finding all about the insider secrets of what's going on in executive search. So so I did pull up a couple of fun facts, Jenna, about, about Wharton, and I'm not going to test you on air because I, I didn't know the answer to some of these either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but interestingly... Um, in 1931, 
That was the first year a woman earned a Wharton MBA, and 1948 was the first year there was a female faculty member. So I kind of want to use that as a transition to um, you're a female executive. There, there are a lot of people who are graduating right now who see that path in their future. What are some of the things they need to think about, prepare for, or consider as they, they kind of climb that ladder? Well, I think one of the things that is really rapidly changing. And I think we'd all agree that the world seems to be more dynamic than ever. And leaders have to keep pace with that. I think that there will be more openness to people who take time off. Um, we're, we're living longer, we're working longer, both for men and women. Um, so I think that in the future, there will be more openness around project-based assignments. It still, however, can be a challenge. And this does, I think, impact women more than men. But again, there could be male corollaries to this. Um, how do you get back into the workforce if you have taken some time off, for example, to raise small children? Um, and one of the ways I've seen women be successful around this is via doing consulting assignments that turn into full-time opportunities. And so I think it's really imperative for, for women or men who are thinking about taking some period of time off that they maintain their professional networks, whether it's through their alumni associations, through former colleagues. Don't just disappear only to reemerge five years later because it can be incredibly challenging to get back to a level that you were once at. Again, I think this will evolve over time. But for now, it's still something to be mindful of. Yeah. And you see candidates coming through every day. Have you seen a shift in in what they're looking for? I mean, at one point in time, it was maybe stability and, and financial gain. But, you know, as as trends are changing, what are what are job seekers looking for now? Is it different? Well, I think certainly millennials have um, have shared with us the importance of thinking about the why we do what we do. And so when I'm hiring, particularly folks for Russell Reynolds who are younger than perhaps our candidates are in our searches, they really care a lot about what the meaning is in the work we do. And I think that's really inspiring and, and fun to see. And I think that will likely continue. I think other themes could be around the ability to work remotely. And more and more companies are availing employees of that opportunity. Um, it's funny. I have a client right now who they have a very distributed workforce. They allow anybody to work from home anytime. And they actually go so far as so, so as to not make people working from home feel alienated or isolated. If you're actually in the headquarters building for a meeting, they do not gather in person. They still all talk on their video chat screens together because they want everybody to feel a part of the community, which I think is really interesting. And it does sort of bring up issues around how will that impact corporate culture or professional relationships. Um, but I do think that's something that is becoming more and more um, important for clients and candidates alike. Mm -hmm. And are you seeing trends with um, companies, what they're looking for changing? I mean, in light of the technology advances and AI and automation, you know, what, I, there's a lot of research out there on the fact that soft skills are becoming increasingly difficult for companies to find. Um, so, so what do you see in doing this work every day? Well, being based in Silicon Valley, I see sort of the, at times the best and the worst of, of what, uh, what is out there. Um, in that I think there's a recognition that IQ is, is in a way threshold and EQ is perhaps more salient at times. I think there continues to be a focus on globality in that um, I've had done a number of searches where our client has said, we don't want to look at anybody who hasn't lived and worked on at least three continents, which um, probably, you know, 15 years ago, you didn't see so much. Um, and then finally, I think people are really wanting their 
organizations to reflect their customer and client base by being diverse and diversity of all kinds. It's not just gender. It's not just race. It can be diversity of thought. It can be diversity of age. Um, and so, and with that, really great organizations are also thinking about how do we make those organizations inclusive? So it's not mm -hmm. enough to just check the box and have different people at the table, but how do you make everybody feel like their voices can be heard? Mm -hmm. Hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to a special edition of Career Talk for Reunion Radio, and we are here all hour long, 844-942-7866. And we're here right now with Jenna Fisher, who is Managing Director at Russell Reynolds and celebrating her 15th Yay. anniversary from graduating from the Wharton MBA program. And so one of the things that that is a, a marketing hallmark of the Wharton School is the fact that there are 98,000 alumni and the network is one of the most valuable things that I think most people leave this <laughs> this um, degree with because it's lifelong and it's ongoing. So, you know, Jenna, how has the network impacted your career? Sure. Well, I think that, you know, as you go through your, your life, it's important to um, to have all kinds of networks. And certainly your educational uh, alumni networks are, are one piece of that. And I've been fortunate to stay really well connected to many of my fabulous and impressive Wharton co colleagues all around the globe. I think as people think about how they leverage their uh, academic and career networks, um, I always think it's important to have uh, almost like your external board of advisors, people you can go to and turn to, and they may be people you work with. They may be people you used to work with. Um, and sometimes for people assimilating into a new organization, one thing that they can do to keep a pulse on um, how they're integrating is to find a person or a couple people inside the organization who are really well networked. So looking for those connectors to help you throughout your career to give you candid feedback. Um, and so I think the more you can do that with people you trust and have known you for a long time can be um, really beneficial. And that's a great way to wrap up, Jenna. Jenna, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy weekend. I know you're chairing some things here on campus this weekend. So <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank really you Really so appreciate much. you coming here and um, congratulations. It's very exciting. Thank you. So um, nice to meet you. Yeah, it's great to meet you too. Hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 132. And stay tuned for the second half of Career Talk after the break when we welcome another accomplished Wharton alumna to the show. Hey, got a question? Eight. Four four nine four two seven eight six six, and don't forget to tune into our regular career talk time slot. Say that two times fast. <laughs> Live every Thursday at twelve Eastern, nine AM Pacific, when we bring you the latest career trends, best job search tips, and fun expert guests to help you create a career you love. Want more info? Follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham, or check out my book Switchers: How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success, where I've compiled all of my best job search advice into one place. You're listening to Career Talk, Sirius XM 132, powered by the Wharton School, and we'll be right back. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 